Hello and welcome to the Business of Data podcast. My name is Catherine King and I'll be your host. In this podcast, we chat to senior executives from a range of departments, industries and functions, all about their passions, experiences and challenges within data analytics. Let's go ahead and dive straight into today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Business of Data podcast. This week, we are talking all about data mesh in reality. And to do just that, we are joined by Andy Kenner, who's the SVP and head of data for Renaissance Reinsurance. If you haven't had the pleasure of meeting Andy quite yet, just a few intro facts to get you up to speed. Andy has been the SVP Head of Data since November 2021 and has been with the organization since 2007. Prior to Renaissance, he's worked within G4S, Demoware and Secure as well. Now, if you can't find Andy at his work desk, you'll most likely find him in the gym training for his next powerlifting competition or failing that in the pub with a pint of Guinness. Andy, it's lovely to see you. How are you doing? I'm doing yeah, I'm doing great. Good. Yeah, I like that uh, introduction. I'm either in the gym or I'm in the pub. That feels pretty accurate. And the thing is, people are going to hear your accent straight away. And I know I'm going to get messages saying, Catherine, you couldn't have found a more stereotypical thing to say about an Irishman that he's going to have a pint of Guinness in his hand. But just just clear my name, Andy, that that is true, right? That, that you do enjoy a pint of Guinness from time to time. I completely live up to that stereotype. I be <laughs> fond of a pint of Guinness, yes. <laughs> good see there we go listeners my, my name is cleared now i am 99.9 percent certain you are our first competitive powerlifter on the podcast how on earth did you get into that um well competitive is probably a bit of an overstatement but i guess i've always enjoyed going to the gym working out lifting weights but as i got older and with other commitments with work with family things just became easier to maybe skip a workout or to go in and go easy not go as as hard as I should so I was looking around for something to focus on a, a different goal or a different challenge and I, I knew it was strong so powerlifting was just a, a natural choice so I got into that um several years ago it's become a bit of a ho- well, hobby is an understanding as well a bit of an obsession learned like tons from my time in powerlift around mobility nutrition hydration recovery and a lot of stuff that's really helped me in my professional career around stress management and mm. staying healthy so it's it, it was a good hobby to have unlike the the guinness which is <laughs> hey they they all serve different purposes in our lives for certain and i love that as you mentioned you you've got that passion but then it's the wider uh context in which that sits around the nutrition and things like that i think um and you mentioned there about de-stressing now more than ever such an important thing and i think you as a leader if that is on your mind that's only going to be a great thing for your team if you're consciously thinking how can i de-stress how can i ensure that wellness is a part of my day-to-day that is such a positive thing for for your team and I'm not going to divert us off into the talent conversation, but I know, again, you know, by coming on this podcast and saying that, hopefully you'll get lots of messages about uh, jobs, et cetera, because these are, the, these are the sorts of things that people are attracted to right now in 2022, quite rightly. But today we're talking all about data mesh, and I'm really excited to talk about data mesh with someone like yourself, because it's, it's been one of those topics that I've wanted to cover. We have, we've started to cover it here in Croonium. But I think it's safe to say that perhaps 
uh, we can't really get into the inner workings of experiences and, and kind of use cases yet with many people. But I'm hoping today we can we can dive in a little bit about that with you. But before we do all that, let's take a moment, first things first, to define data mesh for our listeners, if you wouldn't mind. Sure. So data mesh is it's basically it's a decentralized approach to managing analytical analytical data. It's a concept that uh, Shamak Degani of ThoughtWorks came up with several years ago. And she was very mindful in the term she used to describe that she really didn't want another water analogy like a data lake or data swamp. The, the term data, data mesh, but despite that, one of the better uh, descriptions or analogies I've heard to describe data meshes, instead of it being one large data lake, it's a series of smaller data ponds with bridges connecting each one of them. And for me, that's quite an easy thing to, to get my head around because I've definitely have seen there's lots of different terms out there like data mesh, data fabric, which confuses things. But data mesh, um, it really is just it's that it's that decentralized approach to managing analytical data. And if you think about how how we've evolved the management of analytical data, if you go back to like say the, the 1960s, we had enterprise data warehouses, we had data marts, and we had Inman, Kimball, different approaches there, but very much a centralized approach. I think mm-hmm. of the thousands, we had the data lake approach, which I think the first, the first generations of data, data lakes maybe failed because they weren't governed and it was just a dumping ground for data. And that's where the term data swamp came from. And now we're in this sort of mixed, mixed mode world where we have um, the solutions like Snowflake and Redshift, which offer sort of enterprise data warehouse functionality, a lot of compute, um, a, lot, a lot of compute power, but then also trying to integrate more with the data lake as well. But each one of them have their own challenges, each one of them have their own benefits, but they're probably a conversation in themselves. But what Data Mesh gave us was a few core principles, which really helps, uh, which really helps get around a lot of the problems there. So in terms of the, the, the four core principles within data mesh, so it's domain-driven data, it's mm-hmm. data, it's a self-serve platform and it's a federated governance. So with domain-driven data, really the crux of that is that data ownership accountability stays close with the domain. So it stays close to the people who are intimately familiar with the data. So it's some of the, the legacy approaches to with the data warehouse and data lake really involved dumping data onto a different data team or onto a different squad who had to try to figure out what the data was. And they may have an understanding of the data, but the understanding would never be as deep as the people who are really close to the data. So that's where the main driven data and um, that principle really comes in strong and keeps the ownership and accountability within, within that domain, within the people that know the data. And what their purpose then is to serve up these data products, which is the, se- the second principle or data as a product, which really involves applying product thinking to data, which I'm sure it's, hap- I'm sure it's done in, in different places, but th- this is one of the core principles that data mesh calls out and really makes us think about data as being a first class citizen. Like it's something that's treated similar to our applications. So you've got a backlog, you've got prioritization, and there's a bunch of characteristics around your data, which can be defined by different organizations, but your data is understandable, it's discoverable, it's trustworthy. And the way, the way we've treated data products within Renry is 
they're like this luxury data set that has all the trimmings around the edges. It's got, you know, there's a lot of documentation around the data. Each field is described, your data is trustworthy, there's good quality there. But also then there's, there's samples of how to use the data. So you can go to your documentation and you can see these are the sample queries I can put against the data. Here's the sample connectors to like Power BI or Jupyter Notebook or whatever platform that we're using. And it's just really easy for us to, to find out how to use the data and really lower the barrier to entry to data mm -hmm. usage. Which is for us, like one of our one of our goals internally is data democratization. And this I think is the biggest, the biggest enabler to that for us. And then the final two, two principles, just the self-serve platform and federated governance, the platform that's serving up this data, this should all be pretty easy to use. And from a governance perspective, with data staying close to the, to the domain, you've got a distributed governance model or a federated governance model, and that's um, something we've been working on with an external consultant, which has been, been great for us so far. Are you wanting to meet with other senior executives in the data and analytics space? In an environment that is created for connection and inspiration? Then why not join one of our in-person conferences? We have events all over the world, and you can find out the ones closest to you by visiting careniumintelligence.com slash events. Wow, such a masterclass there on on what data mesh includes. And it's, it's really interesting, obviously, kind of picking out the principles there. Having those domain users and, and people so close to the data is so, so crucial. And it's a huge pain point that I hear from, from all industries. And obviously, our listeners, Andy, are from a plethora of backgrounds, and I know things like healthcare, et cetera, all of that data that's going to be very uh, challenging to, to understand, but in the macro level, uh, you know, it requires a career in understanding this very technical terms as well. So it can only be a, a good thing. And then as you mentioned that, that barrier to entry, we want people to be involved in the data world, but we don't always offer a bridge that is easy for people to come across into the data world. And it's exciting that, as you mentioned, this, this tends to do that. Now, I mentioned there at the top of our conversation that most of our current guests, panelists, speakers, in fact, we had a clubhouse room on data mesh about three months ago, and we had about 50 listeners come in, but nobody wanted to jump on stage to talk about it because nobody felt that they were in a position to really tell a story. And it's clear here that you've got a good foundation in your organization of thinking about this and, and working on it. But where did you start on this journey to, to be where you are now, considering that so many others aren't in that same position as you? Yeah, I think that the journey within, within Renaissance Re or Renri as we'd call it internally, for me, it started before I joined the company. Like Renri has really been a tra trailblazer when it, came to, when it comes to technology and data. And we were solving big data problems. We were using what would have been big data technologies and approaches before that term was even out there. So the company's been very much leading edge and how it's how it's known as risk analysis and its modeling and i think that's that's testament to our su success since we've since we've been around so very much strategically thinking about how we can use our data and at, like within particularly in the past 10 years what we've seen is a massive growth in our data across different different environments different clouds different formats so what we decided to, to do is we, we thinking about from a data strategy perspective, what are the objectives? What, are, what is it we wanted to do? And we, 
came up with a, bun- a bunch of things we were trying to achieve, like dem- the democratization of data and just having easy easier access to data to enable insights. And so a, co- a couple of years ago, I can't remember exactly when, because with the pandemic, the whole concept of time is sort of <laughs> a couple of years ago. Um, we looked at all of our objectives and we decided to do a data virtualization proof of concept. And the way it described virtualization internally was it's basically like a logical layer that sits on top of your data and enables you to query across the different data sets then. And that that felt very relevant to us because we've we've got data in Azure, we've got data on-premise, we've got data in, in AWS. So and that data was only increasing across the different cloud environments that we, we had. So we looked at data virtualization as approach was how can we combine our different data sets? So we embarked on a proof of concept and we did a lot of research around who the, the main vendors were in, in the space. And what we found was that a lot of the leading vendors, they're, they, they're legacy vendors in that they were um, really good for, for working with all the all the traditional types of, of database engines, but maybe not so much some of the newer types of, of data storage, like around storing data on the cloud and different MPP solutions. So we did a particular proof of concept with one vendor and what we found was there were technologies that were built to be hosted internally that were, po- that were ported to the cloud. So when we went to um, try to get it set up in our AWS environment, it took an awful lot of creativity um, and hacking really to get it to work for us. So we didn't have to comfort that this is, you know, this this is their sweet spot and that this is something that we can install in their production environment. And we ran through the POC and they were able to do everything that they that they claimed they could do. They could connect all the databases and they could connect into, into the data lake and onto some other other more complex um, environments, but it was very slow. So we, didn't really feel like we were getting any marginal benefits of mm. that type of technology. So we decided then we'd, we'd look at a more modern tool, um, a tool that was built specifically for the cloud. And that's where we we came across Dremio. So we decided to do a proof of concept with, with Dremio. And I remember the first call we, we had with Dremio, it was it was just refreshing because you're very open and this is what we can do, but this is what they, we can't mm-hmm. do. And we had a bunch of legacy databases and wanted to connect them together. Jeremy said, you're better off not using this, this product, this is much more. And um, like it's built for the cloud, it's built for your more progressive, modern solutions. So I I personally found that refreshing instead of the usual sales calls where they're claiming, yeah, they can do absolutely everything. They're very upfront, yeah. could do and couldn't do. So that was great. And then we went through what our proof of concept or our success criteria were. and. To my surprise, they, they challenged one of our success criteria because they said, why would you do this in such a way when you could solve it in a different way? We had a good conversation about why that wasn't possible for us to solve in the platform we're currently using. So we decided we'll, we'll take their steer and we'll try and solve it a bit of a different way. So it was really the relationship got off on a, on a really good footing. We found everybody to be super professional, very easy to get on with. We installed the platform very easily, incredibly easily, and we had the proof of concept done in a fraction of the time because it was that easy to connect into our different um, into our different database, into our different environments. Everything just just worked like a dream. And the results we got from that proof of concept were just staggering. Like we had some queries that uh, ran on like took 
over 12 minutes in SQL Server, we, we got down to like five seconds. Wow. We had complex, um, complex queries that took, um, I think it was around, around 10 minutes that we were down to like two or three seconds on a very small cluster, like on an incredibly small cluster that we did the proof of concept with. And we're looking at them numbers now going, if that was in our production environment and that was, and we did some optimization, we're confident we get them sub-second based on what we know about the platform now. So really staggering results that if they, as a cynical Irish person, if they told me we would get these results at the start, I wouldn't have believed them. But now, um, fully, fully believe everything that they're that they're telling us really is a, a a great tool. So we licensed that product, and we've been trying to roll that out as a core part of our data mesh platform since um, since then. And what also happened internally around that time is we actually we changed our operating model. So we decided we. <laughs> We, we tried to go very agile and tried to, um, you know, have dynamic squads that were based on, on you know, skills matching the work that was coming down. But we found we were a lot more productive when we had these longer running squads. So with the combination of the operating model changing, us introducing this data virtualization platform, and then also coming across the... Did the work from Shamak Dagani from, from ThoughtWorks around what data mesh was, I felt like it was like quite a logical fit for what we were trying to do. So a bit of a long-winded answer, but um, that's that's how we embarked on this data mesh journey. No, I love that. And no, I, I love the, the detail you gave there. And I think it's, that is the type of partnership that I think every leader listening would dream of and that it they challenged you in an appropriate way and also were up, up and honest about what they what they could achieve with you and whether that was the right fit for you or not. So I think that's absolutely, you know, a great, great testament to, to your relationship with, with them for sure. And, and it's interesting, actually, that you were kind of pursuing this data mesh approach before even necessarily knowing kind of that's what people were uh, terming. And I think that's part of this conversation as well, right, that very often we find these big buzzwords, hype moments that actually they can be something else that we've already been doing. They've just got a new name. And how, how much of that do you believe? How much do you think is kind of a wolf in sheep's clothing in a way that we, you were doing data mesh? It's just that perhaps you hadn't attributed that title to the work you're doing. And do you think for other organizations that those types of buzzwords can be helpful in the sense of getting budget, et cetera, from executives, if you're able to say, yeah, we're going to do data mesh, even though you know that's kind of been the ambition all along? I think it can be, I think it can be helpful, but it can also be a hindrance because there's so many different terms out there that it can make it quite complex. And one of the things we've, that I've tried to do internally was to try to keep it as simple as possible. So to be very consistent with the language that we're using, and we've had to be like very, very specific about some of the language that we're using because it can be quite confusing. So mm. um, data mesh is definitely, there's a lot of buzz around it, but it's a lot of buzz around uh, similar technologies or similar approaches to, to solving the, the problem that's out there as well. Yeah, 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 for, for sure, for sure. So when it comes to, to the future, we, we've kind of spoken about where we are now. What are your ambitions for, for what you want to be kind of realizing in, in the future? What future capabilities do you want to be uh, looking towards now? So it's definitely within the AI ML space. Really, what we're trying to do over the next 
12 or 24 months is really trying to make our data mesh platform more mature. We're trying to simplify the platform. We're trying to add a lot more data. We're trying to get the data into a format that's easier for, for our business people to, to access. But when we're, when we're in that place, I think we'll be able to leverage AI and ML a lot more. So we started to have the conversations now around how can we complement our internal data with external data or what analysis can we use across our different data sets to, to, to extract even more insights from our data. And I think it's, I think it's around 80% of time that's been spent on AI and ML projects now are spent within that sort of data wrangling phase, like trying to ETL source mm-hmm. to, to make it accessible for another. I feel like we're doing all that foundational work now with the data mesh so that we'd be able to leverage AI and ML and spend, you know, most of the time within that 20% to try and really extract a lot of value from that. Yeah, yeah. So compared to other organizations, I suppose it looks like you're almost kind of going off on a on a different tangent to perhaps the, the traditional route, as you mentioned about the, the data wrangling and that actually you're going to end up joining up and maybe overtaking those organizations as well. Because as, as we know, the data quality and just understanding your data is, is taking up a considerable percentage of most organizations' time. Um, why do you think when it comes to this conversation, many leaders aren't approaching it in the same way that you are. What do you think is the difference between you and your team and your organization and how you've approached it to, to say others um, who perhaps aren't going down this, this road? So I know from speaking to a few peers that they've invested heavily in certain platforms and to take a step back from that platform would be potentially deemed as failure. Whereas I think there's a, probably an element of just putting your hand up to say that was the right solution at that time and then we need to mm. evolve. I think that's that's part of time oh, from being to a conference in, in London where like that's 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 definitely happening a lot in the market where people are you know really bought into a particular approach to solving all of the problems by investing in this one platform and the platform may solve a lot of the problems, but then when they get the bill each month, it's like, is it really worth this? Mm-hmm. That's happening a lot in the market. And I think what also complicates it, it's just, again, it's that hype around different terms and seeing a lot of hype around data mesh and, and some of it's some of it's just not warranted and it's just it's just confusing. Like we're seeing people putting up that they've become certified in data mesh and whereas like it's very much, it's an approach to solving different problems and seeing certifications and other things like that happening. It's it's making more. It's making it diff, difficult for some people to see the wood from the trees and how really to be thinking about implementing data mesh compared to some of the other approaches. A hundred percent. And something that we often talk about on the Business of Data podcast here is that you know that there is no cookie cutter approach. Every organization is unique, and I think the danger is, as you mentioned, with those kind of certification elements or trying to to generalize an approach can then be a downfall because no organization is going to be the same. No uh, data pool is going to be the same with the same challenges and legacy, et cetera, um, which which can be a, a, a huge challenge for for certain. So just just recap for me, because I know you were you you gave me those those examples earlier, just so so the audience can kind of see the value. What have been the hard results from the re- projects you've been doing in a sense? Because I know you mentioned about the uh, uh, recovery time of, of those running those queries and reducing it down but have there been any other kind of hard projects that you can give uh, us some examples towards 
Sure. Um, I guess from a from a data perspective, we put I think it was 50, 56 billion records through our data mesh platform at um, during December. And the last count we had for the last month, we've put over 10 times that. So just under 600 billion records we we put through our platform in a very easy way, in a very performance and efficient way. And what's what that's given us is it's it's allowed us to access data. It's allowed us to run queries like the SQL Server query that I mentioned earlier ago that took twelve minutes twelve minutes to run. That was a blocker to certain types of functionality because it mm. just churned up resources. And if if the the server was quite busy, it became very difficult to even get the query to run. Whereas now we've got functionality that's possible that we didn't even think was possible. So now we're thinking about more use cases for the data that we have. That we haven't been able to solve before so i think we've been very at times i think we've been anchored in certain areas not thinking about the possibilities of our data because it's not being possible to extract that so we're seeing a lot of that happening at the moment and as a bit more of a concrete example we had one uh, solution that we ported fully to our data mesh platform and that was a SQL Server, again a SQL Server solution that basically took a lot of data each month it ET, ran an ETL process, loaded the data in, and it was quite, a, because it was quite a lot of data, well, it wasn't that much data, but it was like 600 gigs of data each month. And as it, as it grew and accumulated more data, the process just took longer and longer where it was running anywhere from like 24 hours to 36 hours on a good month, which meant that if anything went wrong with that process, it was several days to turn around to debug it, to, to, to fix it. And, we ported that solution fully to the data mesh platform and we got the, the load times down to sub 20 minutes, which is a dramatic, dramatic improvement. <laughs> and we also, what it also gave us, it gave us access to more detailed data very quickly. So our legacy solution had uh, a lot of summary data, it archived a lot of data just to make certain queries run. Whereas now we've got them queries running super quick and we've got all this data available for ad hoc analysis, which is being used as well. So that's that's been great for us. Amazing. And I know for the listeners, that feels like a bit of a backstep question, but I just wanted to, to really drill into those hardcore results that you've seen, because I think these sorts of topics, it's really easy to go down the conceptual route, but actually the fact that we can have this discussion and see those amazing results you've had just kind of proves the, the use for, for you for sure now uh, we're coming up to our final few minutes here Andy and I always end the podcast on the same question um, what do you want our listeners to be thinking about at the end of today's episode what's your kind of big takeaway so I'm I'm a big fan of the data mesh approach and I'd encourage anybody that's in a similar position to go out and have a look at what's out there on the Data Mesh, Shamak Dagani has a ton of videos available on YouTube. And I just encourage people to keep an open mind that it's not, this is a data mesh platform, we need these technologies. One of the things that's very appealing is that it will fit into different tech stacks that, that companies are using. So there's a lot of flexibility there. Encourage people to have a look at what's out there, keep an open mind, and then try and figure out how, how it applies to to your own company, because that's been one of the more enjoyable parts of our journey that it's, the data mesh is an approach for solving 
solving the management of analytical data, but it's very much specific to how companies work, how domains are set up and, and how each domain then operates with, with other domains. So it's, it is very much, it's, it's a journey. There's no specific destination. It's a direction to mm. where you want to go. And I think if you keep that in mind and you, you're flexible with your approach, I think it will be, be of benefit. Amazing. And it always great to catch up. And uh, thank you so much. I look forward to speaking to you real soon. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed that podcast episode. Do be sure to subscribe and follow the Business of Data podcast wherever you're currently listening to ensure you're always first in line to the latest episode. We'd also appreciate your review as well. So if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, please consider leaving us a review. And as always, find us on socials as well as heading over to the Business of Data platform for more forms of great content, including articles, blogs and video. Until next time, stay safe, stay well, and we'll see you real soon.